the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. Uh, All you have to do is give us a phone call, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. Um, if you are, um, haven't been called, I'm trying to find something and I can't see right now. I'm so sorry. There it is. I found it. Okay. Now I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I've been gone for a week, so what can I say? Hey, I want to thank Pastor Ken and May when she joined on Thursday for filling in with me. Uh, As you know by now, Paula and I were um, celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. We went to uh, La Jolla, California and just spent some time for us. Got to see all of our kids and grandkids at a sort of surprise dinner for Paula. She didn't know the kids were coming. She figured it out just before we left. But other than that, we had a wonderful, wonderful time. And we appreciate all the people that were praying for us. So thank you very, very much. I gave you the phone numbers already. You can also email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app if you are Driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I'll get back in the swing of this. It'll just take me a few minutes. Uh, Tonight here at uh, church, we've got uh, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies all going at the same time. Uh, Paula will be teaching the ladies tonight, Pastor Ken, the men. And then our youth pastors, Matthew and Chris, will be teaching the junior high and high school age kids. So you can bring the whole family. We'd love to have you. Well, let's get to some questions that have been sitting in while we wait any phone calls. Uh, Here's the first question. This one comes in anonymously uh, from our mobile app. Uh, Hello, Pastor. Good day to you. And I pray for you and Paula Daly. Thank you, Anonymous. That means a lot. And here's a question. May I get your thoughts on the radio program of Messianic Perspectives with Gary Hedrick? Is it worth listening to? Um, I'm, 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 I'm sure they're, they're nice people. Gary, I've, I've tried to listen, but, but we're not to have a Messianic perspective. You know, one of the things that just frustrates me and it makes people feel like they're being so spiritual, but just the opposite, in fact, is true. Uh, even if you are a Jew who converts to um, um, uh, to becoming a Christian, the whole idea is not to, to pursue your Jewishness, but the whole idea is to pursue Jesus. It's a completely different covenant, altogether different. And uh, I've listened to Gary Hedrick a couple of times 
thinking, well, maybe there's something, and I just there's just nothing of value for me. I, again, there's nothing false. Uh, I'm sure his heart is genuine, and he is a believer. He'll be in heaven with us. Uh, but there just isn't any value in reverting to Judaism um, uh, or, or, or enjoying uh, our Jesus uh, as the Christ of Israel. Uh, he is not our Christ. He is our Lord, our Savior. He's Lord's. So, Anonymous, I just don't see any value. Now, I get a lot of people, and for some reason it's mostly women, but they'll come in, and I've had them introduce themselves to me as a messianic Gentile. Or they will say something like, well, you know, before you can be a good Christian, you first have to be a good Jew. None of that makes any sense at all to me. Um, uh, I understand the value of study. I love the Old Testament. Uh, I understand the feasts and the festivals. Um, However, the feasts, the festivals were nothing more than pictures pointing to Jesus. And now, Anonymous, we have the real thing. Uh, the one man who's a mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. And, um, you know, I, I think what Paul wrote to the Galatians when he said, um, O foolish Galatians, um, who has bewitched you? Are you going to finish in the flesh what began in the spirit? And what will happen to, 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 to Jewish converts to Christ? If they'll let the Holy Spirit lead them, they'll lead them away from the traditions, they'll lead them away from the the, the things that were simply pictures or symbols of the, the fullness of Christ to come, and they'll lead him into a thriving personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there just isn't any value in going back the other way. So again, I've listened to Gary. I think he is fine. Uh, I think he's a, uh, I'm sure he is a believer. He actually appears to be a really, really nice man on the program. So I have no issue with him personally. Uh, the issue is with the messianic perspective. Um, I just don't understand. I really don't understand what value it is. You know, when the early church, which was entirely Jewish, uh, when they converted the Apostle Paul, uh, didn't go backwards. He moved forwards. The same thing is true for all of the disciples. Now, for the disciples, it was hard. You remember, they, they, they were raised Jewish. They were, they were uh, committed Jews, observant Jews. Um, but the more activity of the Spirit in the book of Acts, the farther away from all of that they got. And and when they reverted back into legalism, when they reverted back to 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 keeping the law or separating from Gentiles, that was when Paul said he opposed them to the face in Acts chapter fifteen, the Council of Jerusalem, and and basically they they said, look, we're moving forward, we're not moving backwards, and I think that's what we ought to do as well. So anonymous, thank you for the question. I especially want to thank you for your prayers. Thank you so much. Let's go to Cindy calling on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I was I was watching part of the uh, funeral for the for Queen Elizabeth II today, and at one point they showed a bit of close up of the crown, and the crown was breathtakingly beautiful. I, mm-hmm. I was blown away at how beautiful it is with all the jewels, and they were sparkling and. I was just amazed about it, and it got me thinking about crowns, so I have a couple questions. And I was wondering <laughs> if, if Jesus will wear a crown when he comes back to rule on earth. And then I was wondering about the crowns that we put at Jesus' feet, what they would look like, and when, when would we be doing that? And I was thinking that if they had jewels in them, if the jewels would be the the things that we did for Jesus, you know, that that we wound up having a crown for and for our worship. So anyways, that was running around my crazy little head today, and I'll let you comment on it, and welcome back. Always glad you get back um, out of California unscathed. I'll put my radio on. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. It's really nice to come home from California. It was interesting. We got off the plane on Monday last week. Uh, San Diego is where we went, and and it's the warmest I've ever been in San Diego. And it was at the tail end of of a heat wave that they've been having. So the the following day, the temperatures went back to normal. But it was the warmest I've ever been in San Diego. 
it more it was humid, so it felt more like San Antonio uh, than than it did uh, San Diego. Um, but we had a great time, and yet it, it's um, you know we had a, a guest speaker not yesterday but the week before uh, Dan Lights from Calvary Chapel in Oceanside there, uh, who who uh, um, did our three services, and he started all three services by saying greetings from Babylon. And we all laughed, but the reality is you feel like you're in Babylon when you're in Southern California, especially. In Northern California, I'm sure the same. I just don't go there because of the weather. But um, um, it, it's it's a strange, almost indescribable place. Um, it, you can feel the, the, the sense of darkness and evil and... Um, Paul and I got to spend a lot of time sharing with people. That's one of the neat things when we go. And, you know, when you're having your 50th wedding anniversary, uh, boy, that opens a lot of doors because people want to talk. So um, it, a lot of darkness, but what an opportunity for people to hit the streets and share the, the love of Jesus Christ there. Cindy, back to your questions. I'm going to talk about the Queen for a minute, too, because I've been asked about her. Um, the, the, uh, the crowns, we don't know what they're going to look like. Um, the only thing that matters is that Jesus will hand those crowns to us. And that will happen at the Bema Seat of Christ when we're in the presence of the Lord, uh, when we will be judged, not for salvation, Cindy, but we will be judged according to our works, um, whether we will receive or lose rewards. And both of those things will happen. So, um, Cindy, I, I, um, what they look like, we don't know. We know that the, the, the things that we treasure here on earth uh, are common everyday materials in heaven. And, in fact, we're going to look at those crowns, and the only value they're going to have for us is to be thrown at the feet of Jesus. We'll be able to do that. So, um, I wish I had more information, but the Bible just doesn't give us anything more. The important thing is that we get all of the crowns that Jesus has for us. I've got Mark on line one. I'll come back and talk about the Queen in just a moment. Mark, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, welcome back, Ron. Thank you. Say up. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, brother, a friend of mine, uh, got a little bit of a debate on whether it's going to be... Uh, one world government forthcoming, you know, uh, he uh, said basically that there's no mention of that revelation per se, but I countered with the, you know, the mark of the beast and the man of sin and the, uh, antichrist and all that and the mystery of Babylon. But could you sort this out for me? Is applied or word is an old Testament, or new Testament, or the idea of globalism or one world government on the horizon. And could it indeed be, uh, Mark, in the end of the times coming up so shortly, hopefully. Yeah. I don't know. Thank you, Mark. Your, your friend, I, I, I don't think, really reads the scriptures. Um, uh, there is going to be a one-world government. It's going to start out uh, in in the book of Revelation. It's going to start out with, with the man that we call the Antichrist. Now, obviously, he's not going to call himself that, Mark. But um, he's going to have uh, ten... Uh, governors, a, 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 a revived Roman Empire, but he's going to destroy them. He's going to going to dominate them, and and he will be the one, especially when he's satanically empowered. He'll be the one giving um, the the uh, the orders. So so it is a one world government. Now the good thing, Mark, is that well, I believe now that that's being set up. We won't see this. We Christians will be raptured before the Antichrist is revealed. So we won't see it. Now, having said that, I believe that that, that what we see happening in the world today, this push to a, a one-world economy, this push to um, a, a government where everybody can get along and just sort of agree to agree with one another, I think this is a setup for... Uh, that that moment when the church is raptured and uh, the man we call the Antichrist comes to the forefront and and is hailed as a great man of peace um, for the beginning of the Great Tribulation, it will seem as though he has the answers to solve all the problems in the world. Um, but the reality is he is bent on conquest, and that's how he's portrayed in our Bible. He's a writer bent on conquest. 
and um, uh, so so that's not something that is you're 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 reading too much into it. It's very very clear. So it starts out with this revived Roman Empire. Then he is the one who begins to dominate that empire. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate the call. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Valerie from her email inbox. She says, I have a quick question on the order of the family according to God's view. For example, God is first in my life, then it's my spouse and children. Where do parents fit into that category? I'm trying to work on bettering a strained relationship with my mom and be honoring towards her, and I'm looking for some guidance on that. Thank you. I listen to your show regularly, and I learn so much from your biblical counsel. Valerie, thank you very, very much. I'm glad you are a regular listener. A couple of things. Um, you know, we, we as as children who, who grow, we get married, we're to leave and cleave. That means there's a whole new order in our life. And you've got it right. God is always first in your life. Uh, then your ministry to your spouse and to your children uh, comes next. Now, I, I don't like that because we do things chronologically. Um, and that's really how we look at things. However... Um, in in the whole family, it, whether it's a husband and a wife uh, or kids, the, 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 the family is designed to surrender to Jesus Christ, to be partners in whatever ministry God has for you together. Now, the question about parents, um, the one thing you don't want to do uh, to honor your mother is to, um, to to allow her to cause conflict in your family. Um, the way to really honor your mother is to witness your faithfulness to Jesus Christ, and that is, Mom, I want I want our relationship to get better uh, as we follow Jesus. I, I love you so much, but um, my family comes first, and then I'll be there for you as best I'm able to do um, with the other things that I have in my life. That's not dishonoring at all. Uh, often I'll get um, questions, Valerie, from... Um, people whose parents want them to uh, really put them first and take care of my needs. Well, the Bible says you're to honor your mother and your father. But honoring uh, your mother and your father can only be legitimate when, in fact, you're doing what God has called you to do. So I don't know, obviously, the the, the reason for your strained relationship with, with, with your mom. Um, I have no doubt that you're honoring toward her. But, but that doesn't mean being submissive to your mother. Um, you, you to submit to your husband, uh, your husband and you together to submit to the will of God. And as long as your mom doesn't get in the way of that, then love your mom the way um, that Jesus wants you to love her. And what you'll experience is her seeing your relationship so rich and full that, that she'll not only understand, but she'll want that kind of relationship for herself. So um, I, I know it's always a tough thing with parents, and parents sometimes have a hard time letting go, especially when it's moms and daughters. But uh, it's important that you let them know that mom comes first, you know, uh, or that, I'm sorry, that the Lord comes first. Um, uh, Paul and I, we, we get asked these kinds of questions even by our own kids. And we let him know that before children comes the marriage relationship, and the marriage relationship has to be submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ. If those two things are in order, Valerie, then there won't be any problem with the rest of the stuff, because by you being in order with the Lord, um, what you'll be doing is you, you'll be establishing a, an environment where people will begin to see the fruit coming from your lives. God will give you the power uh, of his spirit to enable you to meet all of your other ministry needs, whether it's to your kids or, or to your parents or anything else. So focus first and foremost on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for the question, Valerie. Let me also say this, um, just because it works here. Um, uh, in fact, we just had a pastor who was here visiting, and he said uh, in, in response to a question, I think on this show on, on Friday of our, of our, our retreat week, that uh, he said to the men, men, your first ministry is always to your family, to your wife first and then to your kids. That's not true. 
Our first ministry always remains to Jesus Christ. And then as husband and wife walk in agreement with that focus, then God takes care of the rest of the issues. So remember, it's always our relationship with Jesus. Paul and I uh, only walk together because we're walking with Jesus. If she would move out or move back from the Lord, if I would move out or move back from walking with the Lord, then our relationship would sort of be strained. There would be sort of an unequally yoked relationship. So only when the husband and wife are walking together do we understand that relationship. Now, in the case of an unequally yoked relationship where one spouse is walking with the Lord and the other is lagging behind or not walking with the Lord at all, we have to remember there that our first relationship our primary relationship is with the Lord. And what we have to do with that is make sure that our witness remains appealing to our unequally yoked spouse. So it's always Jesus first. And that's the one thing I get asked all the time, especially when Paul and I travel, well, 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 how do you balance ministry and how do you balance your marriage and how do you balance your family obligations? And my response is always the same. You don't balance them at all. It's all Jesus all the time. And if that's descriptive of your relationship with the Lord, then he is the one who will sort out all of the other things that you're having to deal with. Valerie, thank you very, very much. Again, thank you for being a regular listener to the program. Here is a question from... Brad, from our email inbox, he says, Hi, Pastor Ron, I pray all is well with you and Paula. Thank you for taking my question. Uh, thank you for, for your well wishes. Uh, things are going really, really good with me and Paula. She was so much fun. It was just her and me for almost all the time uh, last week. And man, we had a blast. So thank you, Brad. Here's the question. I'm studying the book of Revelation, and in chapter 12, can you please explain the first verse, the woman clothed with the sun, the moon, under her feet? Who is this woman? Also, what does the seven heads and the ten horns represent? I heard a pastor explaining that it was the Roman Empire because it was the Romans who crucified Christ. Is this true? Please explain. Uh, it, it, it is true. It's, it's the Roman Empire, but it's not because uh, they crucified Christ. The Jews turned him over, the Romans crucified him, but really, Brad, it was your sin and mine that, that, that crucified Jesus. So let me just get that out of the way. Um, the rest of this is important. I, I um, The book of Revelation doesn't make us guess as to what's going on. The description uh, that you're reading is clearly symbolic. It is not literal. In other words, as John looks at this vision, he's not going to see a real woman, a real dragon, or a real child. He's going to see these things as symbols that represent other things. Uh, This is so important to understand because we don't have to guess. Now, verse 9 in this passage identifies the dragon clearly as Satan. Uh, The child in our story is also identified Um, The child, verse 5 says, clearly is Jesus. Uh, No one else will ever rule the nations with an iron scepter. So we we start those two things, and that means the identity of the woman is also clear. Um, The woman is described in celestial images that we've seen before in the Bible. Every single symbol in the book of Revelation is explained to us somewhere else in Scripture. Now, there are some, Roman Catholics most notably, who say that the woman in Revelation 12 has to be Mary. Uh, They'll say, well, she gave birth to Jesus, so it must be her. But that's not what we're told here. Remember, this is a sign, not a reality. That means this woman giving birth to Christ symbolizes something much bigger than Mary. Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, claimed that she was the woman of Revelation chapter 12. And there are even some Christians who have really messed up eschatology who claim that the woman in Revelation chapter 12 is the church. None of that can be true. The woman is the nation of Israel from whom the Christ would come. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is often compared to a woman and specifically even a woman in the pangs of labor. But there's even more proof. All we have to do is look at Genesis 37 Uh, the dream of Joseph, and it's explained 
And um, he uses the same imagery. He said, I had another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Uh, and that's when his father rebuked him. The sun is interpreted there as Jacob, Joseph's father. The moon identified his mother, or is identified as his mother, Rachel. And so the identity of that is absolutely certain. Now, the ten horns and the seven crowns and, and uh, uh, the dragon, I said, verse 9, makes clear is the devil. Now, in chapter 17, there is a, a more detailed discussion of the seven heads, uh, of the heads, the ten horns, and the seven crowns. But but I'm inside a minute here, so let me just say it's sufficient to say that the seven hills represent I'm sorry, the seven heads represent the seven hills of the city of the false prophet, almost certainly Rome. Uh, and the ten horns represent the reigning world power, a revived Roman Empire at the time of the Antichrist ascension to power. So um, that should answer your questions. Uh, you can go to Revelation chapter 17 and get more detail on the heads and the horns. Hey, Good, good first half of the program. Thanks for letting me get back in the groove a little bit. Um, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. This is the second half of our Monday show. I said in, a, in response to Cindy's phone call at the beginning of the program and talk about the Queen a little bit. And the reason I want to do this is because um, the, the funeral today was an Anglican funeral. I get questions all the time. Was she saved and all that? We don't know. We don't know. Um, uh, Anglicans are uh, Christians if they're born again. And that's the thing that we've got to understand. And one of the problems with the national religion, and it's always been that, that, that that's always been the case, is people that are born into it and christened into it as infants, uh, it provides them a security that isn't genuine. Um, uh, I hope and pray that the queen was really a converted believer, a born-again Christian. That does not happen with infant baptism or membership in the church, be it the Anglican church or the Catholic church or any other church that practices infant baptism. And so the answer is, I don't know whether or not she was saved. I do understand how important she was um, to England. Uh, just, just uh, she, she, the, the, her passing. Um, will have an impact on England that is hard for Americans to understand. We don't really understand the monarchy. Uh, she had more power um, than most people gave her credit for. She was not merely a figurehead. Um, she represented for the people of England um, a sense of stability. Um, she, she was um, uh, the reigning monarch for so long um, that she had relationships with with probably the three greatest prime ministers uh, in England's history. And, and they had at times a little bit of a rocky relationship, but they always were able to work things out. And the queen was sort of the, the stabilizing factor there. I mean, Winston Churchill and Mag Margaret Thatcher and Tony Blair. Uh, so this is a huge, huge loss for England uh, and obviously, everybody's worried about King uh, Charles. Um, um, who knows what effect he's going to have on the monarchy? But but this is a time for England um, that that we can keep that country in prayer. I hope, as I said, I hope and pray. the 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 funeral, I'm told by Anglicans, was was the best the Anglican Church has to offer, and very Christ honoring. Um, and I hope that is the case. So um, we just can pray that the queen will be in heaven. And one day we'll get to see her. Quick story. 
Um, Paul and I were with a group here from the church um, a lot of years ago now, and I can't ever remember time frames, but we were in England and Scotland. We did uh, a, sort of an 11-day Joy of Jesus uh, outreach in Scotland first and then London. And uh, we were at Buckingham Palace. And the queen drove out, and she was maybe six feet away from me, and I looked right at her. I could see her clearly, and, and uh, you know, I thought that was pretty cool. So um, I, I just hope and pray that the queen really was a born-again believer. Here's a question from Ted from New Brunfels. He says, I truly enjoy your radio program on my way to work and on my way home from work. Thank you for your guidance and honesty, uh, true honesty of your delivery of what the Bible tells us versus what many of the watered-down translations by some pastors on other radio shows tell us. My question is, what Bible should I be reading? I currently read the King James, uh, but there are so many that I was wondering what you recommend. Um, Ted, thank you for your nice words. And uh, again, I so appreciate the regular listeners. Uh, obviously, on one direction, you're listening to our teaching programs, the pre-recorded programs, and and then uh, coming home at 4 o'clock, uh, this program. So thank you for listening. Um, uh, Ted, I love the King James Version. Uh, that's the Bible I started with. Uh, I, I most of my Bible memorization took place with the King James, um, and so I love it. The problem is that it doesn't communicate uh, clearly any longer, um, consistently with the modern use of the English language. The, the language has changed so much uh, since the King James version was published. Um, and so you spend a lot of time unnecessarily, um, well, this is what it really means, or here's what the Greek language says. But believe me, I absolutely love the King James, and if it works for you and you enjoy reading it, then that's what I would tell you to read. My preference is the 1984 version of the NIV. Uh, it is, I think, by far the best translation of the New Testament. Uh, it's not any better in the Old Testament than any other translation, but its uh, translation of the New Testament, I think, is is uh, superior to all of the others. Um, you have to be careful with that because um, it's hard to buy a 1984 NIV. And if you were to order one or to get one on the Bible program, it would be the 2011 version of the NIV and I think that is a horrible translation, and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. So the 1984 NIV is the one that I would recommend. Uh, that not being possible, the ESV is a good translation. The NLT is a good translation, a little bit more modern uh, in terms of being able to un be understood. But um, I have no problem at all with the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, I think the most important thing, Ted, is you find one that you will read, something that's comfortable, uh, something that you understand, because that's when you'll really open it every day. And, and remember, everybody in the audience, we, we've got to be, be consistently in the Word of God. It's not something that we can do casually. It's not something we can do when we we have time or when we find time. Being in the Word is absolutely essential. It's the only way to be transformed uh, by the renewing of our minds. I, li I like the word renewing because it literally is just making new our minds. And our minds are so inundated with worldly stuff that, that in the Word is the only way that our minds are going to think new things. And I've told our church here, uh, Ted, this all the time. Uh, if you're not in the Word of God, the propaganda that comes from this world, the darkness and the lies that come from this world, will eventually overwhelm all of us. Um, you simply are not equipped to fight uh, the world that we live in apart from being in the Word daily. When I say daily, uh, I know there are going to be some things happen some days where you can't open your Bibles, but I think most of the time that's got to be a goal. Uh, it's got to be a priority in our lives. If if you're not in your word, it's that simple. You, you, you're you're going to be won over. You're eventually going to be convinced that same-sex marriage is okay. You're going to be convinced that this LGBTQ madness that goes on in the world that we live in is perfectly normal. Your witness will be compromised uh, to your children 
uh, in, in your homes. It's the word. We've got to have the word. Not only that, uh, Ted, I don't know if you're married or not, but um, we've got to wash our wives in the water of the word. We've got to wash our children in the water of the word. It's the only thing that will protect each and every one of us from the onslaught of the lies that this world is trying to cram down our throats. It's the only way. Eventually, we're all going to be seduced into that place where, uh, well, what's the big deal? This is a different world. And and um, being in the Word every day is the only way that we can stand against those kind of lies. Thank you, Ted. Appreciate it. Here is an anonymous question from our mobile app. It says, in your Mark 14 sermon yesterday, you mentioned Simon the leper and that he was not the same leper as in Luke chapter 7. Did you mean Luke chapter 5? No, uh, Anonymous, I think if you look at Luke chapter 7, I said this is not the same Simon the Pharisee. Uh, I wasn't focusing on the leper. Um, it says one of the Pharisees, Luke, this is Luke 7.36, then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Uh, but Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. So it's not the same Simon. I wasn't saying the same leper. And if I misspoke in the message yesterday, um, I was pretty tired having just been off an airplane uh, and I apologize for that. But, you know, I meant um, it's not the same Simon. Simon the leper is not the same as Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7. Hope that makes sense. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to line one and talk with Ruben from Seguin. Ruben, good to hear from you. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you Thank doing you. today? I'm doing well, Reuben. That's good. I have a question, and then I was wondering if you could pray for me after sure. after I asked the question. Um, if I'm not mistaken, there is nowhere in the Bible that says that we have to be perfect um, to get into heaven. <laughs> and... Um, I know that we have to strive for perfection. Um, so my question is, if, if we live in this flesh and we daily sin, how can we obtain perfection if we daily sin? And that's the question. Okay. And, and what do you want me to pray for you for? Uh, because this anxiety is, uh, Pastor Ron, I don't, I'm, you know, rebuking it, and I'm, I say no, Satan, no, and, and, and so this is what gets me thinking about being perfect, because this anxiety creeps up on me, and it just, it just, I don't, I don't want to say it won't let me go, it's just, yeah. it just nags at me, and, and, and then I feel bad. Like well, maybe I'm not good enough of a Christian. That's why it's hitting. Yeah, yeah. Ruben, uh, stay stay on the phone so that that I can pray for you. But let me let me comfort you a little bit. Um, the Bible actually does say that we have to be perfect. Um, Matthew chapter five verse forty eight: Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the goal. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that's for those who are unbelievers, people that say, well, I'm a good person. I can go to heaven. Jesus said, if you want to go to heaven, here's how to do it. you got to be perfect. There's nobody in heaven who's not going to be perfect. And when you see people trying to do good things, I'm trying to do more good than bad. Uh, I'm trying to, to, to live my life according to the golden rule. Um, Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount is the only way to get to heaven apart from faith in Jesus Christ is to be perfect. Now, that would cause us to pull our hair out because none of us can be perfect, as you so aptly stated. But here's what we're supposed to do. And I don't like the use of the word strive. You say we're to strive for perfection. The Apostle Paul says in his goodbye in his goodbye to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, he says to aim for perfection. Aim for perfection. And that's what we're supposed to do every day. We're to aim for perfection. Now, we also know Romans chapter 3 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's more 
um, um, emphatic than, than it sounds because it's in the present continuous tense. And what it really means is for all continue to f- sin continually, and we are continually falling short of the glory of God continually. So that's the difficulty here. How do we aim for perfection when, in fact, we can't be perfect? The answer is to walk in the power of the Spirit. And when we fall short of being perfect, that's when we repent so this isn't something that should give you stress. You just, Lord, and, and here's how I do it every day, Reuben. My prayer is, uh, Jesus, today of my own free will, I choose to serve you, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And then I take Jesus' hand and we walk through the day. Now, again, like you, Reuben, we fall short of perfection, but we have an advocate, Jesus Christ. So it's not our own performance It's Christ in us. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And so as we walk through the day and we find ourselves falling short, we simply say, God, I blew it. I'm sorry. I I said something I shouldn't say. I responded defensively and I shouldn't have done that. Uh, Please forgive me. And instantly, 1 John 1, 9 says, instantly, that sin is forgiven and you're purified and you stand before God perfect all over again. That's what the Apostle Paul said. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. So our relationship with sin is simple. Paul said uh, this way, explained it this way. He said, I find this law at work. When I sin, it's not me who sins, but sin living in me. And Reuben, one of the things that you have to understand is that there is a sin nature that is always battling. And their sin nature is sort of empowered by the enemy who's always pushing all of those anxiety buttons, those those things that we're afraid of. And that's why Paul says we have to take every thought captive. So um, will you fall short again? Of course you will. But that's why Jesus died. So that the moment you recognize, Lord, I fell short again, it's not a source of concern, but you immediately have an outlet to say, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me and, and help me to be faithful longer. So the, the, the thing that you're, you're afraid of or the thing that you're anxious about, you have to continually to keep taking those thoughts captive. And then you get up the next day and you say, okay, Lord, a whole new batch of grace met me this morning. So here's what we're going to do today. Today, I'm going to aim for perfection. And in the process, the Bible calls this process sanctification. And in this process, every day, Reuben, you'll find yourself being more and more like Jesus. So let me pray for you. Father, I lift Reuben to you. And uh, I pray that you'll really... Impress upon his heart the reality of these scriptures. Lord, that he is more than a conqueror. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, that if you are for him, who can be against him? And I pray, Lord, that he will not strive to be perfect, But just as he walks with you every day, he'll aim for perfection. And every day, Reuben will be more like you than the day before. So bless him, Lord. Comfort him. Free him from the guilt and condemnation, those lies from the enemy. And just remind him constantly that apart from you, he can do nothing. And it's not being ashamed of that, but it's realizing that that's the reality of our walk with God. And he'll realize that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Protect him, Lord. We pray this for your glory. In your name, amen. Thank you, Reuben, for calling. I appreciate the opportunity to pray for you. And and these are things that we all struggle with. Remember, it's God, Philippians chapter 2 says, uh, who works to, to do and to will through us. And we're to work out, not work for. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, but but our, our responsibility is to remember that I can do nothing. Reuben, I tell the church here all the time that 
the reality in my life is, is it doesn't matter how much I know, it doesn't matter how long I've been a pastor, if I get any distance between me and Jesus, I'm going to mess this whole thing up and blow it. So my focus every day is to stay in the presence of the Lord. And that'll work. That's the only thing, by the way, that will work. Great question. Thank you. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from our mobile app anonymously. Uh, what is the difference between Catholicism and Christianity? What should someone do when they're faced with a relationship as a Christian with a Catholic? Um, depending on the kind of relationship that you're talking about, Anonymous, if if you're talking about a, a male-female romantic relationship, you should not be in a relationship with somebody who's not a born-again Christian, period. Do not be yoked together uh, with unbelievers. That's what uh, 2 Corinthians 6 says very clearly. And yet we do it, and Catholics and Christians are not at the same place. Catholicism is a religion. Catholicism is based on works. Catholicism is based on being a part of the church. Catholicism has all kinds of doctrinal errors. Now, I want to be clear. There are some Catholics who are Christians. There just aren't very many. They're not taught that you must be born again. Um, their, 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 their emphasis on the church and on saints and on Mary is unbiblical. Um, and so um, you just shouldn't be in a relationship with somebody who is a, a Catholic. Um, and if they're born again, part of the condition for being in a relationship with them is, that, you know what, we, you you got to leave the Catholic Church so that we can walk together following Jesus. Now, if they're truly born again, anonymous, that shouldn't be a problem for them. I understand loyalty to a church, loyalty to traditions, but the reality is the Bible says, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And Jesus would not have have anybody in a relation or in a religion with with uh, um, um, all those obstacles between. So this is really important. If that's the kind of relationship that you mean, um, then you shouldn't do it. Now, if it's just a friendly relationship, then what you do is because of your joy in the Lord and because of your heart for Jesus, then you just witness to that Catholic. You just witness to that Catholic. You 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 let them see the joy that a relationship with Jesus Christ produces. It's a joy that religion can never produce. So um, that's what you do. Uh, uh, Christians, John uh, chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to the most religious man in Israel, and he says that you must be born again. And when he asks the question, how can I go into my mother's womb a second time? He wasn't being naive. He was just sort of incredulous at Jesus' response. And Jesus said, basically, you of all people, Nicodemus, should know that you must be born again. And uh, again, because Catholics don't teach that, they're relying on infant baptism to deal with original sin. Uh, We know that can't happen because a baby, an infant, has no free will to make that decision on their own. So if if you have a friend who's a Catholic, family members who are Catholic, then let your walk with Jesus be so vibrant that they see there's something that you have that they're missing, and it happens. Um, you know, it wasn't too long ago I had the opportunity to ask in our church again how many of you uh, come from a Catholic background. And 90-plus percent of the people in, in our church have come from a Catholic background. And they knew nothing about reading the Word. They knew nothing about the the, the work of the Holy Spirit. What they did have is they, they had an understanding of who Jesus is, who the Father is, and who the Holy Spirit is. So they've got the right God. That's why there's always a remnant. There are some who are truly born again, who remain Catholics. Again, I don't understand why, but they do. But they're few and far between. The teaching of the Catholic Church is, is heretical. Um, their Mass, the Eucharist, is the, the continuing sacrifice of Christ on the cross over and over again that comes directly from their own catechism. Um, the reality is uh, Jesus died once for all, just once, 
And they'll call that the bloodless sacrifice of Christ all over again, day after day in in the Mass. So um, just all kinds of problems anonymous between that. So I hope that makes sense. I know Pastor Ken touched on this question Friday, but he asked me if I would answer it as well. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Let me see. I think I've got time for maybe one more question. Yes. So here it is. Um, I better not do that one today. I'll do that tomorrow. Uh, Red says, I've got two minutes. Red says, Pastor Ron, will you ever do a preaching series on parenting? Red, you know what? I'm thinking about it. I, I don't typically do series. Um, but, uh, boy, just a couple of weeks ago, God put on my heart, um, maybe it's time to do another one. I did one. And you can find it at calvaryessay.com. And it is by far the most listened to uh, group of messages I've ever done. I don't remember for sure how many there were, but I think if I'm remembering correctly, there were about six. And you can find that on our website. Um, but I'm thinking in this day and age of cell phones and and uh, modern day problems with social media, I probably ought to, to do another one. And I may be doing that soon. I'm starting on Friday night uh, in Second Thessalonians. That won't take a long time. So there's a possibility, Red, that I'll be be following that series with um with a uh, uh with a, a parenting series um i'll let you know just keep tuned into the program and i'll let you know if that's what we're going to do good question thank you very very much hey thanks for tuning in it was nice to be back sorry that i wasn't at my best in the sense that i was sort of out of the groove of doing this, but I'll get back on track. Thanks for tuning in. Remember our men's and women's studies tonight. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.